This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery. Welcome to Inside COVID-19. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. This week, President Cyril Ramaphosa gathered a family meeting to share the details of tighter restrictions aimed at halting the rising rate of COVID-19 cases in the Eastern Cape, Western Cape, KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng. This includes the possibility of stiff fines and even time in jail for employers who do not insist that employees wear masks at all times. In this episode of Inside COVID-19, we pick up on some of the details of changes as South Africans sign off work for their festive season breaks. We speak to Discovery Health's Dr. Ronald Whelan, Chief Commercial Officer of Discovery Health and Head of Discovery's COVID-19 response team for an assessment of how South Africa has been managing the pandemic. Dr. Whelan also provides an update on the importance of masks as well as the rollout of the vaccine in South Africa, particularly in the light of news that the COVID-19 virus has been mutating. Dr. Whelan provides a fascinating glimpse of what Discovery's data is telling us about the spread and severity of COVID-19. He warns us to expect at least another six months, and probably more, of navigating this disease. Also coming up in this episode, our partners at Bloomberg explore vaccine rollout. Inside COVID-19, from Biz News. First, the COVID-19 news. As of this week, just under 73 million cases of COVID-19 and more than 1.6 million deaths have been reported worldwide. This is according to the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center. The U.S. has the highest number of deaths, at more than 300,000, and more than 16.5 million cases. India has the next highest number of COVID-19 cases reported to the authorities, at just under 10 million. South Africa is number 18 on the list of countries hardest hit by COVID-19, with just under 900,000 cases, It comes in at number 14 on a ranking of countries with the highest number of deaths, at just under 24,000. South Africa has tightened up restrictions aimed at curbing the spread of COVID-19, with employers urged to make a concerted effort to ensure compliance with rules aimed at curbing its spread. If they don't do so, they run the risk of fines and possibly even jail terms of up to six months. This was said by President Cyril Ramaphosa, who has highlighted that the second wave will be worse than the first if strict regulations aren't applied. In an effort to balance conserving jobs with lives, a nationwide lockdown has not been imposed, he said. Instead, holidaymakers in the Eastern Cape and Garden Route have had their plans curtailed, though beaches around the country will be no-go areas on public holidays. Stricter restrictions on the consumption of alcohol apply too, though limited wine tasting and wine sales in the Western Cape will be allowed. Firstly, we will ensure that there is stricter enforcement of existing alert level 1 restrictions throughout the country during the festive season and beyond. This includes the requirement that drivers and operators of any form of public transport must ensure that all passengers who get into their vehicle must wear a mask. 
the managers or owners of buildings or places or premises including retail stores shopping centers and government buildings are obliged by law to ensure that all customers who enter their facilities or buildings must wear a mask an employer must ensure that all employees wear masks while they perform their duties this places a responsibility on all owners managers and employers and on all of us indeed to ensure that south africans are safe whenever they are in any of these places the responsible individuals who do not ensure compliance with the regulations by their passengers customers or employees will be liable to a fine or to imprisonment of up to six months secondly we are taking measures to reduce the risk of super spreading events the current restrictions on the size of gatherings do not do enough to prevent crowding in the current situation where new cases are rising rapidly therefore gatherings including religious gatherings may not be attended by more than 100 people for indoor events and 250 for outdoor events at all times and particularly in smaller venues the total number of people in a venue may not exceed more than 50 percent of the capacity of the venue all gatherings must include adequate ventilation they must also demonstrably show that there is social distancing there must be wearing of masks and provision of hand sanitizers due to the potential for transmission all post-funeral gatherings the so-called after tears parties are prohibited one of the greatest challenges we need to confront are the huge crowds that flock to our beaches and recreational parks on public holidays over the festive season we have undertaken extensive consultation on this issue so that we can find an approach that reduces the risk of large-scale transmission while limiting the negative impact on businesses in coastal areas of our country we have therefore agreed to adopt a differentiated approach which takes into account the different circumstances in different areas of our country. For more details, do go to biznews.com. The pandemic has caused a shortage of psychiatric drugs and contraceptives in South Africa. The number of so-called stockouts, which is when a medicine is unavailable, has doubled this year to over 1,400 reports. This is according to Ruth Dubey, the project coordinator at the Stop Stockouts Project, which is a non-profit that campaigns to end medicine scarcity. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson faces a mounting clamour to cancel Christmas bubbles amid warnings they will cost lives. Leading medical journals, the BMJ and HSJ, are spearheading a campaign to axe a rash festive season easing. The British Medical Journal and the Health Service Journal have urged Johnson to ban households from mixing over Christmas to protect the National Health Service. In a rare joint editorial, the journals said the plan to relax social distancing rules for five days will boost infections. China says it will suspend COVID-19 hit flight routes.
Bloomberg reports that if five passengers on the same international flight test positive for the coronavirus, the route will be suspended for two weeks. A vaccine candidate under development by cigarette maker BAT will start a phase one human study following approval of its investigational new drug application. This is in the US. The study is designed to enroll a total of 180 healthy volunteers who will be divided into two age cohorts. Results are expected in mid-2021. Germany has reported record deaths as the hard lockdown starts. Bloomberg reports that Germany recorded 910 coronavirus fatalities in the 24 hours through to Wednesday morning, which is the most since the pandemic began. It comes as a strict shutdown designed to stem a surge in infections comes into force. Chancellor Angela Merkel has warned that the country faces a new peak of COVID-19 infections next month, suggesting that the tougher restrictions will remain in place beyond January. The economic blow from the coronavirus has wiped out 81 million jobs across Asia-Pacific this year, with women and young people disproportionately affected. That's according to the International Labour Organization. Serology testing has revealed that nearly half of the 323,000 migrant workers living in Singapore dormitories were infected with COVID-19. This is far higher than the official tally and has indicated that the virus has spread widely among people who may not have any symptoms. Bloomberg reports that European regulators will review Pfizer and BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccines next week. This is earlier than initially planned and comes amid growing pressure across the continent to approve the shot quickly. A European Medicines Agency committee will meet on December 21st to consider the vaccine after receiving additional data from the developers. Will people keep washing their hands regularly after the pandemic has ended? A U.S. study reported by the Wall Street Journal suggests not. The American Cleaning Institute has found that there has been a 14% drop in hand washing. It is quoted as saying, We have lost everything we gained at the beginning. Once the pandemic ends, I expect the focus on cleaning, disinfection and hand washing will do the same. There's microbiologist Jason Tetro, who is author of The Germ Code and The Germ Files. For more on that, log on to Business Premium which offers full access to the Wall Street Journal as one of its benefits. Inside COVID-19 from BizNews. Based on South African Medical Research Council reports and discoveries extrapolations, it is estimated that approximately 30% of South Africans have already been infected with COVID-19. Joining us on the line to talk about Discovery's view of the pandemic and latest developments to curb the spread of the virus is Dr. Ronald Whelan, who is Chief Commercial Officer of Discovery Health and head of its COVID response team. Ronald, how does Discovery view the government's response to the rising rate of COVID-19 infections? I think uh, you've got to look at the uh, government's response over the last nine or ten months or so, all the way from the start of the, the pandemic in South Africa way back in March, right through up until now. And I think as an initial your point of view, I think yeah, our, our view is that government did a remarkable job in the, the first phase response and the early lockdown. In fact, our statistics point to um, that early lockdown buying South Africa 75 days worth of time to prepare the health system you know, for uh, the, the onslaughts of COVID. And during those 75 days, a few things happened. Number one is we were able to prepare our hospital beds. Number two is we were able to you know, prepare uh, PPE. We were able to procure ventilators. But most importantly, out of that year period, the South Africa had time for the science to emerge. And so during those 75 days, we learned an enormous amount here globally around how to treat COVID. And on the back of those learnings, reduced uh, mortality rates here significantly. And that's one of the major reasons South Africa had a lower mortality rate than many other parts of the world. So that was uh, the first phase of the response. And I think that laid a very solid foundation for South Africa's 
uh, subsequent response to the, the pandemic. And we've taken a very measured and cautious approach and a very logical approach over the course of the last uh, nine months, easing restrictions you know, when the timing is right and then bringing back restrictions when uh, you know, infections are rising again. And I think as we see uh, in the current environment with rising infections in South Africa again, uh, President Ramaphosa has put out a, a very strong uh, message around your know, tightening restrictions, you know, particularly across your hotspots. And I think yeah, that will yeah, hopefully contain the spread of infections over the next yeah, few months as we head into your yeah, second wave territory. We've been seeing increasing infections across the Eastern Cape for the last three or four weeks already. And I saw significant pressure on hospitals in the Nelson Mandela Bay district two or three weeks ago already. And I've been working together with uh, our hospital partners to yeah, manage uh, a hospital bed, bed situation. What's happened over the last yeah, two weeks or so is that those infections are spread down the coast into you know, other districts, uh, most notably Buffalo City, Sarah Bartman, and then the Garden Route. And yeah, as a result of those increasing infections there, we've started to see increasing pressure on hospitals across yeah, those, those areas as well. And ICUs are now running at uh, capacity, are largely full across the, the, the Garden Route in the moment, and we're very concerned about uh, that situation, particularly given... We have an influx of travellers into the Garden Route in the Eastern Cape and these areas over the course of uh, December. So it's a situation we're watching closely. We're particularly concerned about a higher risk uh, population groups of so people over the age of 60, people with comorbidities, diabetes, high blood pressure. Uh, those people typically you know, see the severest manifestations of COVID, COVID infection and those people have the, the highest risk of getting admitted to hospital. And uh, given the pressure on hospitals across um, you know, these areas over the next um, you know, three or four weeks, you know, we would urge uh, people to be very cautious around you know, traveling in these areas and take you know, all the necessary precautions and, and then some to prevent your know, infection. And ideally, if you can avoid these areas over the, the December period, you know, please, please rather do so. For all intents and purposes, COVID-19 is a vascular disease. So COVID-19 attacks a particular receptor in your vascular system. It's called an ACE, ACE receptor. And that ACE receptor is present across most parts of your vasculature, including your heart, including all of your blood vessels, including your, your liver, and so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a vascular disease, and that's where you get a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the COVID symptoms and clinical sciences as a result of it attacking you know, the, the vascular system. As much as we see worse outcomes in higher risk populations and elderly populations, we have seen you know, some very severe outcomes across you know, younger population groups as well. In fact, <clears throat> you know, I was notified of a 29-year-old across you know, the Discovery Health Medical Scheme who died of COVID you know, last week. A fit 29-year-old, not obese, no comorbidities, a, a young and healthy individual, uh, unfortunately had a, a very severe bout of your COVID, ended up in ICU on a ventilator and unfortunately passed away you know, late, late last week. So that's uh, just one example. And you know, we've seen 18-year-old deaths, we've seen 24-year-old deaths, so you know, please, you, you must you know, take this you know, cautiously. The severity of infection may well be related to viral load dosage. You know, so you know, the more virus particles you're infected by, um, you know, the uh, worse you know, your clinical signs and symptoms are. And I think uh, just another reason to, to wear masks. You know, so if you're wearing a mask, you're reducing you know, the viral load your quantity that you're, ex you're exposed to and are potentially reducing the, the, the severity, of in, severity of infection. Do you think he's balanced the economic considerations with the health considerations well 
in, throughout the year? I mean, this is a very, very challenging uh, balancing act uh, between you know, protecting lives and protecting uh, li- livelihoods. Yeah, there are clear you know, economic consequences of uh, you know, lockdowns. Equally, there are clear clinical consequences of not uh, in enforcing some of these you know, social you know, behaviours and social determinants. So, so by and large, I think you know, we're you know, very supportive of uh, the government's response over the last you know, 10 months or so. And I think, had, and I think South Africa has uh, performed quite a, a good balancing, balancing act. You certainly see other countries you know, globally that haven't got you know, the balance you know, right, right in this. But I think, you know, broadly speaking, South Africa has done a very good job. There's a very interesting statistic which Discovery has put forward. You say that over 80% of attendees from a super spreader event in KwaZulu-Natal tested positive for COVID-19. That's quite staggering that it's actually young people that seem to be spreading the disease. Could you just elaborate on what your statistics are showing us about young people with COVID-19 and also about the broader picture? Yes, very interesting stats coming out of uh, the super spreader event uh, on the uh, north coast in KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa. I think the first interesting statistic when it comes to young people is that 94% of young people either have asymptomatic infections, so no no, uh, symptoms whatsoever, or are mildly symptomatic. So um, you know, typically would then you know, present with a very mild uh, flu, flu-like illness. And I think yeah, that's the real danger in COVID is you know, when you've got large swaths of the population who are either asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic, don't realize they've got COVID, don't go for tests, don't get, uh, don't go into self-quarantine. That's where you know, infection really spreads. And that's uh, the big concern around the event in KZN. There were over a thousand positive infections that came out of the post-matric event in here KZN. 80% of the young uh, adults uh, you know, tested across the, the discovery base uh, tested positive coming out of that event. And I think what's even more concerning around that event is that those young adults then went back to family across your various you know, parts of the country potentially exposed close family members and you know, grandparents. In fact, our statistics point to you know, roughly 40% of uh, family members contracting your COVID as a result of the, you know, those young, young adults coming back from, from KZN. That's really astonishing. What should these youngsters have been doing apart from social distancing? Could they have been using masks or are masks not really that effective to curb the spread of COVID-19? Uh, masks are enormously effective. There is very, very strong uh, clinical and scientific evidence that your know, masks now work, and it's it's, it's conclusive. Um, multiple studies across the globe. We've also seen lots of interesting you know, anecdotal evidence around you know, the effectiveness of masks. So for instance, uh, way back in July, uh, the state of Kansas in the U.S. You know, implemented a mask a mask policy, and certain counties took up the mask policy, and certain counties didn't take up the mask policy. The counties that took up the mask policies reduced their infection rates by 6%. So reduced the daily infection rate by 6%. The counties that didn't employ the mask policy increased their infection rates by 100%, so started doubling their infection rates. And I think there's just one very clear example around how effective masks are on a a population basis. And it's very simple. Um, Masks have very tightly and finely wound fibers that the virus can't pass through. So what it does is it prevents you from you're spreading the virus to other people, and it prevents you from uh, getting infected by the virus you know, through through spread from other people to you. And uh, yeah, the physics uh, makes you know, perfect sense uh, around masks. All sorts of masks work. Uh, cloth masks work. Um, uh, surgical face masks work. 
the mask, the N95 masks work. The important thing around a mask is to get a good seal seal over your face. I know there's also a lot of uh, myth around um, rebreathing uh, you know, carbon uh, carbon dioxide yeah, as a result of wearing masks. I just want to lay any fears around that. Um, lots of studies you know, globally um, have proven that you know, masks do not you know, result in rebreathing of your know, carbon dioxide. So the carbon dioxide still you know, escapes you know, freely. And if you think about it, uh, surgeons have worn masks for many, many years. You know, so if you're a, a surgeon working in an operating theater, you would wear a mask morning until night you know, with no, no side effects you know, whatsoever. So please, we need to guard mask wearing. It's you know, one of the most effective ways of uh, preventing outbreaks. Had the, the young adults at this festival in you know, case they worn masks, you know, this, the, the infection rates would have been much, much lower. President Ramaphosa said that employers risk going to jail and stiff fines if they do not implement mask wearing at work. Do you think that is too tough a stick? Well, mask wearing has already been part of the regulatory protocol um, since uh, way back in, in May already. Uh, so it's al- already been mandatory for employers to make masks available for the employees and to mandate mask wearing across uh, all workplaces. So this is not a new development. Um, I think uh, the uh, the president, uh, and rightly so, has uh, enforced uh, that that, regu- that regulation and you know, highlighted the importance of your mask wearing. And we've certainly seen across um, the various you know, businesses uh, discovery supports through our COVID business support uh, service line that uh, in workplaces where there is not you know, good mask wearing compliance, you tend to get you know, more outbreaks than in businesses where there is you know, good good uh, mask wearing compliance. So I think there's a very clear and strong you know, ra- rationale for that. So Discovery also played a pivotal role in getting the COVID tracing app into South Africa. How is that going, the rollout of that? Yeah, we're very proud to have been part of this initiative with the National Department of Health. As you say, you know, Discovery uh, built the app alongside the National Department of Health and the presidency. Uh, the app is now fully owned by the, the National Department of Health. Downloads you know, continue to to pick up, and people continue to see the, the usefulness of the the application. Um, we're increasingly seeing uh, uh, exposure notifications you know, across the app, and in particular in your hotspot areas, we're seeing you know, increase your downloads and, and usage of the the app. But as with all of these interventions, it's one of the layers of interventions. So it's called the Swiss cheese model, and if you think about a Swiss cheese model, layers of Swiss cheese all have your holes in there, and you've got to put in your multiple interventions here to prevent you know, the outbreak of infection. So masks wearing, social distancing, the COVID alert app, your hand sanitization are all layers of interventions that you know, ultimately prevent you from getting infected. Ron, vaccines have been described as the weapon that will end this war against COVID-19. And there's been much talk and confusion about when South Africa is likely to start getting COVID-19 vaccines. What's your information on when the vaccine will be rolled out en masse in South Africa? There is a massive vaccine race on across the globe, as you will well know. Uh, so there is significant demand for vaccines across the globe. And what's happened globally is that yeah, um, higher income countries or more wealthy countries have snapped up a large uh, swath of uh, the vaccine, the initial year vaccine supply. So places like the UK, Canada, uh, the US. Uh, uh, the fortunate thing around vaccines is that while supply is constrained at the moment, the vaccine pipeline is very big. So there are just short of 200 vaccines uh, being developed across the globe at the moment. You know, 12 of those are nine um, phase three trials. Phase three trials are the human trials. Um, 
The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine obviously got approval in the U.S. and the U.K. earlier on this week and is being rolled out across the U.K. and the U.S. Um, but there's a, a big pipeline on the, on the back of that. From a South Africa perspective, we are staying very close to all global developments in relation to vaccine. You know, so Discovery is working in collaboration with various you know, public sector and private sector partners uh, to make sure that you know, South Africa um, is in the line to receive vaccines you know, when these you know, become, be, become available. The timelines aren't entirely you know, certain at, at this stage. It looks like you know, South Africa, you know, all going according to plan, should see vaccines somewhere around May, June or July 2021, um, and hopefully sooner than that. You know, we're seeing that India is expecting to see vaccines towards the, the end of your know, quarter one you know, next year. Um, but I think, uh, reliably speaking, we'll, we'll likely see a vaccine in South Africa by uh, May, June 20, 2021. Will Discovery members get early access to the vaccine or will they also have to stand in line as government implements the vaccine rollout? As I said, uh, Discovery's uh, objective here is to make sure that South Africa gets vaccines. The vaccine is only effective if all citizens in South Africa get the vaccine. So what you've got to do is you've got to drive your herd immunity. So having one you know, small section of the population with the vaccine and the rest of the population not having access to the vaccine just doesn't doesn't make any any sense. Um, so you know, hence our response around working in collaboration with uh, various you know, public sector and private sector players to secure vaccine for all, all South Africans. From a discovery perspective, the Discovery Health Medical Scheme Board has already endorsed funding for vaccines for Discovery Health members. So. Um, we've got board approval for, for funding. In fact, yeah, we did that you know, four weeks ago already. So as soon as the, the vaccine is available in South Africa, yeah, in accordance yeah, with all of the clinical guidelines for delivering the vaccine, that vaccine will be available to, to Discovery Health Medical Scheme members. I think the important thing to, to recognize around vaccine, as with all other countries globally, is that there will be certain uh, population groups that will be prioritized for the initial uh, doses of vaccine. So healthcare workers or frontline healthcare workers is a priority one. High risk individuals, so people over the age of 60, people uh, with comorbidities or other you know, medical conditions, diabetes, hypertension, will be prioritized for the vaccine. And that makes perfect sense because uh, those people you know, typically see the worst uh, outcomes if they're, they're infected with COVID. So just as the vaccine starts getting rolled out in the UK and the US, we've now heard that the COVID-19 virus is mutating. How does this change the situation for South African efforts to fight COVID-19? It's very early stages on mutation of the, the virus and uh, the manifestation of that uh, mutation. Viruses tend to mutate all of the time. So viruses effectively are an RNA or a DNA sequence. And as they replicate, they do these subtle you know, mutations. So in many respects, the viruses are continually mutating. The thousand cases that have been reported in the UK around your mutation um, as I say, it's early stages. We don't have you know, good uh, scientific evidence around you know, the implications of that mutation. We will watch that science very closely, and you know, the UK is doing all you know, the required research on that at the, at the moment. You will recall a few weeks ago, you know, Denmark, I think, you know, had a similar you know, mutation of the virus around a mink population, in, and you know, it turned out that that mutation was you know, large, largely inert and you know, didn't spread. A part of what we do you know, in any pandemic is you know, watch for virus mutations and watch for the clinical effects of those virus mutations. Didn't see massive uh, you know, clinical effects out of the, the mink uh, mutation in Denmark. Um, as I say, early stages on the, the UK mutation, and we'll watch it closely. 
what does Discovery expect 2021 to look like? What is the virus going to be doing in our community? And how do you think the government is going to respond? And how should we be responding? Well, I think the first thing we've got to do is get through the second wave. Um, South Africa is now clearly in a second second wave. So we're seeing uh, significant outbreaks across you know, the Eastern Cape, the Western Cape, and, uh, the Garden Route in particular. But we're also seeing outbreaks across you know, the uh, Cape metropolitan areas spreading into Gauteng and KZN. So discovery data is showing a strong uptick in infections in KZN as well as Gauteng. So our first priority as South Africa is to safely navigate the second wave. And the best way for us to navigate the second wave is to drive all of the preventive mechanisms that we had in place in the first wave. You know, so strict mask wearing, strict social distancing, you know, avoiding your crowded places, making sure that there's your adequate ventilation and so on, so on and so forth. So that's, I think, your priority number one. That will likely extend all the way through you know, January and February next year, you know, based on our, on our projections. We hope that the, the second wave isn't going to be as high as you know, the, the first wave, but we'll have to. It all, it all depends on the, the social behaviours. Following that, until the, the vaccine arrives you know, towards you know, the middle of 2021, we're going to have to you know, continue to you know, maintain you know, the precautions we've had in place you know, for the, the bulk of you know, 2020. I think you will see some resurgence in some you know, in, you know, continued increase in your know, economic uh, activities. So um, we will start to to you know, come out of this, but you know, we've got at least just you know, six months of 2021 to you know, still navigate this, and probably a good chunk of you know, the second half of 2021 as we begin to draw vaccine rollout. Remember, uh, we need to vaccinate 60 million people in South Africa, and if we start in you know, May, June, it's a massive, massive exercise. It will take us many months to vaccinate you know, the entire population. And I think that just sort of gives you a sense on what uh, 2021 could look like. So we're going to have to live with it. Well, I think yeah, the, the president was very clear in his address um, uh, yeah, earlier on this week around um, hard lockdowns and uh, the, the rationale for the initial you know, hard lockdown and the indication that there's no intention to go back to hard, hard lockdown terrain. You know, the hard lockdown served a particular purpose around buying South Africa time to prepare prepare for the outbreak. You know, so I think that's uh, uh, probably a, lo- a long way off, and it looks like the thinking is headed in that direction if you listen to you know, the presidency address. Insofar as uh, you know, the, the government's response, I think it's – it's around the the social you know, connectivity of your people, um, and social connectivity happens you know, both you know, during work hours and after work hours. And if we're able to you know, continue to drive you know, the right social behaviours, some mask wearing, social distancing, and if we all comply to those behaviours, then we've got a much better chance of you know, getting our, our economy go, going going again and you know, going going quickly again. And there are countries that have been successful in this. Yeah, so New Zealand has been particularly successful and is you know, largely up and running again. Australia has been particularly successful. As soon as they've had you know, particular outbreaks, they've quickly you know, uh, isolated those outbreaks and got going again. Vietnam has driven an amazing you know, program. Vietnam was you know, practically flat on uh, you know, COVID infections for the last nine months already. And it's all around our behavior as a populace and, and, and as citizens. So if we're behaving in the right way, then you know, we won't need these restrictions. You've been listening to Dr. Ronald Whelan, Chief Commercial Officer of Discovery Health and Head of Discovery's COVID response team. Inside COVID-19 from Biz News.
Next, we hear from Bloomberg about the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines in the U.S. and some of the big hurdles that are being encountered. As the first shots of the COVID-19 vaccines in the U.S. are administered, one of many big hurdles has yet to be cleared. States must transport and distribute the massive orders to the millions who need it. The state of Louisiana has been thinking about this problem for months. In November, they decided to test their vaccination strategy using the flu vaccine. For the first time, the state hosted drive-through clinics across all of its nine public health regions. These were official exercises to practice vaccinating the state's nearly five million residents in the era of social distancing. Angelica Levito went to Shreveport, Louisiana, as the project was unfolding to find out what a mass vaccination looks like during a pandemic. I'm standing in the parking lot at the Louisiana State Fairgrounds. Off in the distance toward the outskirts of the grounds, you can see signs for pizza and corn dogs. It's about eight o'clock in the morning and local health workers have already been here for hours setting up a drive-through flu shot clinic. To my left, we have the health department workers who are getting organized. They were moving boxes earlier filled with gloves and then there's thermometers that they're going to be handing out to people in line. Over here, the National Guard setting up tents. They're in uniform. Everybody's wearing a mask. The health department is hosting similar scenes across the state this fall. These are to practice how the state might administer COVID-19 vaccines when they become available. It's the first time the city of Shreveport has offered drive-through vaccinations. It's also the largest vaccine event the area has ever hosted. Nurses are ready to give up to 1,500 shots. Dr. Martha White oversees the operation. She leads the regional health office. Today, she whizzes around the parking lot, checking in with her nurses, the National Guard, and the police officers patrolling the area. It's 9.01. We have our first few cars coming through. The nurses are preparing the shot. They're working together, taking out the vial because these are not individual doses. They have to actually take out with a syringe a pre-set amount. And here we go, here comes another nurse and she is sticking the man's arm with the shot and rolls down his sleeve. He puts the car in gear and now he's on his way. This scene almost makes the operation look easy, but it's only a preview of a far more complex effort ahead. The United States will soon start its largest mass vaccination campaign in modern history. The goal is to immunize as many Americans as possible against COVID-19. The challenges are almost endless. The vaccines themselves are delicate. They have to be kept at specific temperatures in order to be effective. Then, doctors and pharmacists will need to make sure people come back for their second shot, and they will need to vaccinate millions of people in the era of social distancing. 
Vaccines could help end a pandemic that has killed about 300,000 Americans and ravaged the economy. Both effects can be felt here in Louisiana. The state has a high number of infections and deaths as a percent of its population. About 270,000 people have fallen ill. About 7,000 have died. Downtown Shreveport is empty these days. Government employees are working from home. Signs outside coffee shops ask patrons to wear masks. Some slot machines at the casinos along the riverfront are turned off to allow for social distancing. Shreveport Mayor Adrian Perkins says the city's economy has been devastated. One large casino in the area is already out of business. And our casinos here locally have been hit very, very hard as well uh, with the revenue short changes when they close the casinos. And now when they open them, they still can only have so much capacity. So their revenue is down and that impacts the city's budget because the city get revenue directly from the casinos and an enterprise fund. So the city budget has been hit quite hard as well. Controlling the virus offers the only way forward for Shreveport and communities across the country, but not everybody wants to comply with measures to stop the spread. Some people do not believe the virus is real. Dr. White can tell you it's very real. Her husband was on a ventilator for two months, nearly dying multiple times. She has reviewed every coronavirus death certificate in the region. Yet every day, she fights with people who call the pandemic a hoax. She pleads with people who were exposed to the virus to quarantine. She begs others to simply wear a mask. Someone compared her to the Soviet Union's Joseph Stalin. She blames it on COVID becoming so politicized. She says the divide has made her job much harder. People aren't happy with the restrictions and they aren't happy with, you know, having to isolate or quarantine. And so you have to sometimes tell people things they don't want to hear. But all, all I can do is tell them what this virus is and what it's going to do and what they need to do in response. And that's really my job. Dr. White's work won't get any easier once COVID vaccines become available. She will need to tell people to trust the science. A lot of people already don't. Add in skepticism from minority communities who have been hit especially hard by the virus, and you have quite the challenge. There's definitely vaccine hesitancy, but there's vaccine hesitancy all the time. And then now that you've got this new vaccine, some people are like, I think I'm going to wait and see. And um, I think that there's also all these conspiracy theories. And so, you know, if you can get back down to the science of it and, and talk to them about all the research and the fact that most of these vaccines started in preparation to SARS and MERS. So there was a base on it. It's not like it just, they already had a good strong base for the vaccine. So it didn't happen overnight. It's not been rushed. Actually administering shots will also be hard. Drive-throughs are a good way to space people out, but they also require a lot of work to stand up. Back at the fairgrounds, Dozens of nurses are ready to give flu shots. Cars trickle in more slowly than Dr. White would like. Nurses lounge in soccer chairs waiting for people to show up. One nurse, Dawn Leone, has seen the virus's deadly capabilities firsthand. 
people may not respect this virus the way that we should. Leone's family had been gathering every Sunday to worship together. Somebody brought the virus one weekend and infected the others. Nine relatives tested positive. Leone's mother, father, and husband were all hospitalized at the same time. Her father died. Her mother and husband recovered. Her husband still experiences lingering effects like shortness of breath. It's a real struggle for families, and it's not just illness. It affects other areas of our homes and our lives. And um, it'll affect me for a long time to see what I saw my dad went through. Vaccines could return a sense of normalcy if enough people get one. That's why Dr. White's role is so important. Practicing now gives her a chance to see what works. You know, the flow's gone really well. Mm -hmm. So we like the way it's set up, and I think it's we wouldn't have a backup even. We'd ha it'd take a lot of people for us to get behind, so that's good. I think it's been a good walkthrough. I just wish we had more people to test it. The fairgrounds are a good place to reach vulnerable residents. They are located on the west side of town home to Shreveport's black community. Mayor Perkins says Shreveport is divided into two distinct sections, like most southern cities. A bus route runs along the fairgrounds. Dr. White says in the future, they could offer walk-up shots to accommodate residents who can't drive there on their own. She also thinks about the best hours to reach more workers. These are all elements to consider for next time. The question is, like, the sustainability. So, like, how long would you want to do it this way? So would we do it once a week? Would you do it, you know, for a full week and say, okay, anybody who wants to come? That's what you'd have to tweak in your head about, like, um, what, are, what are the other ways we're going to offer it? By the end of the day, only 400 of the 1,500 shots are given out. Dr. White wonders if people already were vaccinated because it's now November. The CDC had recommended getting a flu shot by the end of October. Dr. White will share the results from the flu shot clinic with her boss, Dr. Frank Welch. He leads the state health department's immunization planning, and he knows the importance of thinking ahead. Louisiana has seen its share of hurricanes, floods, and tornadoes. This is conducted as an official exercise. so. Um, things, things that go right will be shared with everything. Things will go wrong will be shared with everyone. And we will do an, what we call an after-action report to say, you know, these are the good things, these are the bad things. Here's how we solve them. Here's if we didn't solve them. And, and, and you know, sharing that with our entire state to make sure that, that everyone gets the benefit of those lessons learned. Unlike with coronavirus testing, the state has the luxury of months to prepare. It will need every second it can get. This campaign will be like no other. And that brings to a close your Inside COVID-19 podcast. Until next time. This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery.